Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Well, where I'm at in Illinois, we had a 50-degree day yesterday, so I got in the mood to go out and hang up the uh, the Christmas lights. Thought I'd take advantage of the uh, the warm weather, which I, I, I was able to get out and get that done. It was nice to be able to do it without freezing. But it got me in that holiday mood. I'm really thinking about uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we're today on our program, we're going to have a, kind of a look at both. Uh, we're going to talk about the Christmas tree industry. Tim O'Connor, Executive Director of the National Christmas Tree Association, will be joining us on today's program. We'll take a look at the Christmas tree industry. And then we're going to talk with Beth Breeding. She is Vice President, Communications and Marketing for the National Turkey Federation. And we'll talk about uh, the supply of uh, turkey for this year's holiday season, but also uh, look at the bigger picture for the turkey industry. And like really about all aspects of agriculture, they're impacted by the trade talks with China as well. And we'll talk about that for the turkey industry coming up on today's program. And then we'll check in with Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Want to get the, the latest ag equipment sales numbers we follow these month to month give us kind of an idea of um, not only how the sales are going but it's kind of a barometer i guess uh, as well on the overall ag economy gives us some uh, you know kind of an indication of farmers attitudes and uh, their level of optimism or pessimism as it may be so we'll talk about that uh, with kurt blades a little bit later on in the program First, I want to remind you again of our the opportunity we're giving you to get a free registration to the upcoming DTN Ag Summit. It's coming up in Chicago, December 9, 10, and 11, and they have a great lineup of speakers, a lot of good information, and we're going to give you a chance to win a free registration to the DTN Ag Summit. All you have to do is go to our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com and click on Adams on Agriculture, and we have a place there for you to fill out and uh, send in your information. And coming up on Monday's program, we will draw two names and give away two free registrations to the DTN Ag Summit in Chicago, December 9, 10, and 11. So be sure to go to our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com, click on Adams on Agriculture, get your information in there, and you could get a free registration to the DTN Ag Summit. Again, we'll be announcing those uh, two names on Monday. All right, we're going to kick things off today. We're talking over with Rusty Halverson with the American Ag Network. He joins us now from North Dakota. Rusty, uh, how's the weather in North Dakota? Oh, it feels like winter, Mike. I can tell you that. We're uh, a little cool today in the Fargo area. We're getting some flurries and we had some uh, a little bit of rain last night, some light precipitation kind of uh, make makes the roads a little bit slick, so you got to slow down, but uh, otherwise just plugging along up here. What's the harvest situation? Well, oh boy, Mike, there is a lot, a lot of standing corn. Uh, Sabrina and I were in Steele, North Dakota yesterday, uh, visiting with a, a, a friend, uh, a rep, and um, we did an interview in front of standing corn that would probably... Uh, going to be standing there maybe until next spring because uh, we've got uh, we, well we've got a mixed bag here we've got 
inconsistent uh, soil consistency for the heavy uh, machinery. Uh, we've got high moisture corn that guys are trying to take off. And if you can take it off, the bottleneck is probably at your dryer. And the bottleneck at the dryer is whether or not you have propane. So it is a challenging situation, to say the least. I was going to say, what is the propane situation in North Dakota? Are you having a hard time getting it where it's needed? Well, I I hate to joke about this, Mike, but I've got two propane bottles for my grill in my garage, and I'm thinking about just giving them away, to be honest with you. <laughs> They're probably being big demand, yeah, right? Yeah, they would be. They, yeah, pickup is required, though, however. No delivery. No delivery. Yeah, but no, uh, all joking aside, uh, trying to get the propane up here uh, and in many areas of the Midwest, as you know, many uh, Midwest. West lawmakers have been talking to uh, uh, officials, and uh, I don't have the story in front of me with all the details, but uh, we did take some steps to try and open up uh, propane delivery from uh, southern areas up into the Midwest. And again, I don't have those details immediately in front of me, but uh, uh, something we can certainly talk about in the future. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of those efforts underway trying to get propane into the areas that's needed, uh, expanding... uh, yeah, expanding you, truck use and things like that exactly. uh, to be able to get it there. Yeah, and you were uh, speaking with uh, Iowa Senator Charles Grassley earlier this week, and he and Senator Joni Ernst were a part of that effort to get that moving, and it seems like that uh, that pressure, that lobbying, uh, the concerns, uh, it seems that uh, we're trying to do something at least. Uh, you, you mentioned the corn harvest. What about sugar beets in your area? Oh, my gosh. The ground is froze up, and uh, that's, that's a mess. Um, there's a lot of sugar beets still in the ground, and uh, I don't know how contracts work exactly, but it would appear that if growers cannot deliver their sugar beets, they would still owe their co-op payments, and uh, that's, a, that's a story in the, in the development and just another blow from 2019 for uh, everything else we've seen. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, boy, they, they tried their best, but Mother Nature just, again, got in the way. Would you say it's safe to say that there'll be some 2019 crops still in the fields come 2020? Yeah, yeah. Uh, We're talking now about, uh, you know, when we got into this year, we had such a compressed spring uh, planting and tillage and and whatnot from the previous harvest and the previous fall that was kind of messy. And now as we look to 2020, we're, we're just hoping for the right weather situation because we're not getting a lot of fall tillage done in many cases. We're not getting those fall nitrogen applications done in many cases. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it just kind of, it kind of drags on, but, uh, you know, you keep hope. All right, Rusty, thank you for the update. I uh, wish we had better news, but yeah. uh, we've been hearing a lot about the, the challenges uh been going on all year yeah. there in North Dakota, especially. So it sounds like it's going to continue for a while. Yeah. Um, th- thanks for the update. We know you got a lot to get to, so we'll let you go. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thanks for your time, Mike. We'll talk to you later, bud. Okay. Rusty Halverson, Farm Director for the American Ag Network. He's uh, based in Fargo. All right. Uh, just some other notes. Um, boy, the, the situation with China, again, as I was talking about yesterday, you start getting your hopes up and then it kind of backs off and uh, it looks like. Uh, They've got a ways to go yet before there's going to be a phase one of any of any trade deal. And uh, some other notes, the House Judiciary Committee last night cleared an ag labor package after a lot of debate. 
and uh, we'll be talking more about that coming up on tomorrow's program. We've told you about this. This is kind of a bipartisan effort, finally, to get something done on ag labor, but there are some concerns with Farm Bureau and others about the E-Verify portion of it, so we'll see where that goes, but it looks like it uh, took another step last night. All right, when we come back, the Christmas tree industry. Obviously, this is a busy time of year for them, but what kind of year has it been overall? What about production? What's the most popular trees? What about real versus artificial? We'll talk about all that with the executive director of the National Christmas Tree Association coming up next on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second, in time, on the first, double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. Joined now by Tim O'Connor, Executive Director of the National Christmas Tree Association. Tim, good to talk with you again. Obviously, busy time of year for your industry. Will we find a good supply of Christmas trees this year? Well, good morning, Mike, and yes, we will. There will be a real Christmas tree for everybody who wants one in 2019, and we're excited about that. Give us an overview of the industry and... Uh, production and growth and uh, uh, where the industry stands right now? Well, the industry is not that different from other segments of agriculture. You know, there are challenges to growing Christmas tree. The weather uh, certainly being one. We've had areas of the country that have been dry. Uh, That can be a little problematic for those that are putting new seedlings in the ground. Getting them off to a good start in a dry year is a real handful. Um, But overall, Uh, The crop is excellent. Uh, The growers are excited every year, you know, very different than some other crops. Uh, You know, you work all year and you have about a three-week window to make your living. And so they're always geared up and ready to go for those three weeks, and it is a very busy time. So the, the 2019 season is just right around the corner, opening day. For most growers, uh, will be the Friday after Thanksgiving, and everybody is full stride to being ready for that day. I always am reminded uh, when you're talking with someone in the tree business, it's it's so much different than if you're growing corn or soybeans. You have a bad year, you 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 replant and hope for better next year, and uh, have another harvest next year. But in in the tree industry, uh, if you have uh, insect problems or you know, some other disaster, it takes a long time to recover. You're not just going to harvest that crop again the next year. It's going to take a while. It is a long lead business. Uh, The typical timeline to grow a seedling up to harvestable size is 7 to 10 years. Uh, There is some variation to that uh, by tree varieties and location. But in general, it's that long before a grower sees, you know, a harvestable crop, there's annual maintenance costs. 
there's certainly the challenges of growing a crop outdoors that all of agriculture is familiar with. There are bugs, there are diseases, there are the wet years, there are the dry years, you know, all the things that happen. And growers have to deal with them. And so it's one of those challenges where you try to read the market that far out. Uh, should I plant more? Should I plant less? Uh, should I change the varieties that I'm planting? Uh, all of those things are, are different in the Christmas tree industry than they are with annual crops. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how has the industry changed over the years? Well, I think the uh, the changes are on, on multiple levels. Uh, the industry has consolidated like all of agriculture has. Uh, and it's kind of gone to the two ends of the spectrum. There are very large growers that uh, are in the wholesale business where they cut and load trees on semis and deliver them to big customers like Home Depot, Lowe's, and Walmart. Uh, and there are growers on the other end of the spectrum who bring consumers to their farm. And they open their farm for business and have hundreds, maybe even thousands of people come to their farm over the period of a few weeks uh, and pick out a tree and cut it and bring it home. And those two sectors of the industry are highly specialized. And, uh, you know, both of them have been um, with their own challenges, but in general, the ones that are successful are doing very well. We're talking with Tim O'Connor, Executive Director of the National Christmas Tree Association. Tim, of course, a big challenge for the Christmas tree industry is uh, artificial trees. Uh, what are what are the the selling points for real trees that the industry likes to use to uh, get people to buy a real tree? Well, we think the real tree has so many things to appeal to consumers, particularly young families. We'll start with Mike. The most obvious one that we think is critically important is the experience of getting the tree as a family activity. I always like to picture it as. You think about two videos running side by side, and one is the family getting in their car and driving somewhere and going through the activity of looking at trees and debating about trees and finding the tree that they finally agree on and having that experience. And often there's a little story that goes with it. Maybe this was the year that the tree had a bad spot on one side that they had to hide in the corner or like our family had one year we found a bird nest in our tree after we got it home the kids love that and so every year we put the bird nest back in the new tree and the kids know whose turn it is to put the bird nest in each year and you're not going to mess that up because when it's their turn they do it and so you, you see that video running of this wonderful family holiday tradition in the other screen, you see Dad drag a dusty box out of the attic of the basement. He bangs his head on the pipes of the rafters and cusses and slaps the thing up. Those are two very different Christmases. And I think many families would rather have the types of memories we're talking about with a real tree. But there's, there's much more. The real tree is far better for the environment than a tree made from PVC plastic in a factory in China and shipped over on a boat. Um, many people are uh, trying to do what they can to improve the environment and certainly choosing a real tree over a plastic tree that will sit in the landfill for a thousand years when its life is done 
is clearly a superior environmental choice. That real tree is, of course, a product of nature and fully biodegradable at the end of its life. Trees are often mulched and used for uh, mulch that goes under landscaping or on hiking trails through parks and things like that. So the real tree is clearly an environmental superior story. And the fact that a real tree is grown by a farmer who as all farmers do, are are conducting their business in a local community, they're buying goods and services, they're employing people. You can learn the story of where your tree came from and who grew it, how it was cared for. There's just a whole lot about a real tree that matches up with the trends that consumers care about today, which is very different to the tree made by a big factory in a foreign country. Uh, So we think there's a, a whole lot of reasons that a real tree is far superior. Tim, what's the most popular tree right now, and how has that changed over the years? Well, in general, the tree varieties that are grown are specific to regions of the country based on their agronomic performance in that growing condition. So there's not one variety that's prevalent coast to coast. You would find varieties that are more prevalent in the east, different varieties that are more prevalent in the West because that's where they grow the best, and that's how they've been bred to adapt to those growing conditions. But as a general answer, over time, the shorter-needled fir trees have become more popular and replaced the longer-needled pine trees. Now, that's not to say there aren't longer-needled pine trees in the market. They're They're beautiful trees. There are people who love them and prefer them. But in general, the majority of the volume has gone to the shorter-needled fir trees. And finally, just in care of the tree to make sure you have a safe tree experience, keep it watered, take care of it, right? Yeah, the most important things for a real tree are buy a fresh tree when you choose it. You know, touch it, observe it, make sure it's not dried out and brittle and have needles falling off of it before you even purchase it should be fresh and soft, and the needles should, you know, as you run your hand over them, stay on the tree. Uh, then you put a fresh cut on the bottom of the trunk right when you bring it home before you put it in the stand and water it. Take off about an inch. That opens up the veins so that you can drink water. The trunk will seal up with sap after it's been cut if it's not put in water right away. That's its own mechanism to preserve itself. So you've got to open up those veins again. And once you do that, then you think of it like a fresh-cut flower. You have to keep that trunk uh, underwater and allow it to drink and not go dry. And if you do that, it will drink a lot of water for that first week or 10 days. Keep it watered. Don't let it run out. If you let a vase of flowers run out of water, you know what will happen, and it won't be good. Well, the same will happen with your tree. Just keep it watered. Plan to water it every day and... For that first period of time, it will drink a lot, and you want to be sure it drinks all it can. Very good. Tim, good to talk with you again. Thank you for being with us. Now, thank you, Mike. Always a pleasure. Take care. That's Tim O'Connor, Executive Director of the National Christmas Tree Association. Stay with us. More to come here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.
Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Time now for a market update here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, an hour into the trading day, corn futures firm, soybeans a fraction to a penny lower, Chicago wheat three and a fraction lower. Grain export sales coming in pretty good on the week, according to the Wire Talk. Soybean sales exceeding expectations of traders. Wheat and corn sales at the high end of trade estimates. Soybean exports driven primarily by 568,600 tons sold to China. Also business with Germany, Spain, Egypt, and Bangladesh. Soybean futures January contract an hour into the day, a half cent lower at 9.04 and a half. President Trump yesterday criticized China's efforts to reach a trade agreement during a visit to a Texas plant where Apple is building new desktop computers. In corn futures, December, a penny and three quarters higher, 368 and a half. Chicago wheat, December, down three and a half at 512. Kansas City, December, down a penny at 425. Minneapolis spring wheat, December, down four and three quarters, an asking price of 496 and a half. March, 510 and a half, down a nickel. Livestock at the American Live Cattle Futures, February down 40 cents at 125.07. Feeder cattle January down 22 at 143.87. Saw some live cash cattle sales mostly at 116 yesterday in the south. Dollar better than the prior week. Lean hog futures February dollar 65 higher 68.42. On Wall Street the Dow is down 92. Nasdaq down six points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And joining us now on Adams on Agriculture is Beth Breeding, Vice President, Communications and Marketing for the National Turkey Federation. Beth, thank you for joining us. Do we have a good supply of turkeys for this holiday season? Yes, thank you for the opportunity to join today. We're getting geared up for another big turkey season. We're excited for uh, the big holiday that's in a week now. You know... This is the big season for the turkey industry, but it's not like it's your only big season. You're you're really uh, uh, in year-round marketing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Thanksgiving, the holidays are definitely one of our biggest times of the year, but we're really seeing growing trends, especially among younger consumers, um, where turkey's kind of shaking that you know seasonality that it's had for for a while, um, and folks are eating it you know, ground turkey, lots of other products um, for weeknight meals and lunches and all times. Tell us about turkey production in the U.S. Yeah, so um, turkey production in the U.S. Um, is going strongly. Uh, some people don't realize this, but our biggest producing state is Minnesota out in the Midwest, followed by 
North Carolina. Um, we've seen, you know, some trends following the avian influenza outbreak that happened back in 2015, where, you know, the industry is trying to still correct some supply um, and balance issues. But, um, you know, things are going well this year. We're on track for about 240 million turkeys raised. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, uh, the recovery since avian influenza. Uh, how close are we to where we were before that hit? You know, we're getting back up there. I would say that 2019 um, still wasn't quite the year that we had hoped for um, in the turkey markets. We're still not back to, you know, kind of where we were as far as strength of the market before that happened. Um, But we've seen some really positive signs towards the end of this year, including the reopening of China to U.S. poultry imports um, that we think are very positive for going into 2020. You know, that's interesting. Uh, we had that announcement of the uh, of China opening up, uh, lifting their ban on, on poultry sales. And mm-hmm. I guess I had not thought that much about turkey exports. Uh, you know, we think about <laughs> uh, chicken exports. But, but how much uh, does the turkey industry now rely on exports? Is that a growing part of the business? You know, it's definitely a growing part of our business. We export about 10% of our products. Um, And before we lost access to the Chinese market back in 2015, at the peak, we were um, exporting about $71 million worth of turkey products over to China. So we see that as a really big opportunity for us, hopefully going forward. It was our second largest export market at that time. Um, And, you know, we have seen an uptick over the past year or so in um, exports for the turkey industry. I think we're about... 6% 6% up in export volume this year alone over last year. Um, I think you can contribute that to just the growing global demand for protein and some of the issues that maybe China's had um, definitely has raised an interest in some of our turkey products, particularly those darker meat cuts. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot here on the program about African swine fever, and that's created this huge demand uh, for protein, and we think primarily of uh, filling it with pork, but as we've pointed out, mm-hmm. it's going to take beef, it's going to take chicken, it's going to take turkey, it's going to take uh, uh, really a lot of different uh, forms of protein to help fill that uh, loss that they've had over there. Yeah, absolutely, and I think what a lot of people don't realize when you think about turkey is um, you know, the, the thighs, the drums, the wings, definitely the darker cuts of turkey really do kind of have those similarities to pork that uh, I think a lot of the Chinese consumers really like. I mean, we know they love their pork products, but um, we hope that there also will be interest in trying the turkey products, too. Um, you know, we like them for the grill and for smoking just as well as some of the other things out there. We're talking with Beth Breeding, Vice President, Communications and Marketing for the National Turkey Federation. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, food safety. That's uh, Mm -hmm. always important, of course, but uh, this time of year we think about preparing the big meal and everything. I I know this is an area that uh, your industry focuses on year-round, the importance of uh, uh, food safety and a safe experience. Absolutely. It is our top priority uh, to make sure that consumers um, have access to safe and healthy food products. Um, We want to make sure that the turkey that leaves our plants goes to stores and ultimately to their tables is, you know, going to be healthy for them to to consume. Um, So that's why as an industry, we've really been taking a really close look at 
reducing pathogens, um, you know, reducing the likelihood of foodborne illnesses by focusing on food safety throughout the production chain. So from the farm to the plant and everywhere in between, we know that there's no one silver bullet that, um, you know, makes sure that food is safe, but we think that there are things we can do along the way, um, incremental changes that can have a big impact. And then once the the product is in the hands of the consumer, you offer uh, tips and mm-hmm. advice and help in making sure it's handled properly and cooked properly so they have a safe experience as well. Yep, absolutely. We have a lot of information on our website. It's eatturkey.org um, and on our social media handles too, at Serve Turkey, where folks can find out kind of the, the best tips for cooking turkey. The biggest things are to remember to properly handle your turkey so make sure you're not cross-contaminating, you're washing your hands, you're using different cutting boards and utensils for, for raw products and like your salads and stuff. Um, and also to make sure that you cook that bird to 165. Use a food thermometer. They're really simple to use. Um, don't cost a whole lot. Just throw it in your drawer and use it to, to make sure that you're cooking to the right temperature. Those are really the best ways to make sure everyone um, stays healthy during the holidays. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're storing your leftovers as well within about two hours. So you can leave them out for a little while, but make sure you're getting them in the fridge and put away because you want to save those for later. For sure. I, I would imagine you get some pretty interesting questions uh, <laughs> uh, around this time of year. People may be um, trying oh, yeah. to, <laughs> to prepare turkey for the first time or, or relatively new at it. They probably have some unique uh, questions and experiences. We definitely see a little bit of everything. Um, People have a lot of questions during this time of year. Um, You know, we sometimes get the question of, how do I thaw my turkey? Can I just, like, set it outside on the porch for a while to thaw? No, the answer is definitely not. Or can I toss it in the bathtub? We really don't recommend that. (laughs) The best way to thaw turkey is in the refrigerator, put it in a pan or a large bowl to collect any juices. Um, and allow about 24 hours for every four to five pounds of it. Um, You know, we also get questions about, oh, I forgot to thaw my turkey. Can I cook it frozen? Um, And you can cook it frozen. It's just going to take a lot longer. Um, You'll definitely want to be checking that food thermometer. But we hear all kinds of questions. Um, One thing we're really trying to do, too, is to make Thanksgiving Uh, work for different size families for folks who maybe have different needs. So if you're not cooking that whole turkey, maybe you're having a smaller celebration, we've developed some recipes and cooking tips for folks to just do a turkey breast or maybe to use something like an Instant Pot or smoking or grilling their turkey if they're trying to think outside of the oven a little bit. And also, Beth, I wanted to ask you about uh, how the industry has addressed the animal care issue that, uh, you know, a lot of people look at, and I know the industry takes that very seriously. Yeah, we, we take that very, very seriously. Um, NTF members all abide by a set of standards that um, the industry has put together. Um, you know, they cover every part of raising a turkey on the farm, transportation, and once in the plant as well. Uh, this is a big priority for us. We know that, that customers care about this and um, our, our farmers care about this. So we want to make sure that we're taking the best care of our birds possible um, and we want to make sure that they're healthy as well. 
the industry overall, are you seeing more people get into the industry? I, I would guess you're probably seeing consolidation, larger operations in many cases, but are kind of give us an overview of the industry. Yeah, so according to the census of ag, we've got a few more than 23,000 turkey farms out there in the U.S. Um, you know, I think like a lot of industry, uh, farming isn't easy. It's difficult. It's, uh, you know, big investment and long, hard hours. Um, but, you know, a lot of turkey farms are still family farms. These are operations that have been running for a generation. So, um, you know, while we may see that number going down a little bit, we're, you know, we're really proud of the folks who are doing this for a living and, and raising these birds and making sure that everyone can have a turkey for their table. Now, you mentioned this earlier about that you may not have someone may not be cooking the whole turkey, just, you know, the breast mm-hmm. or whatever. That was really a game changer for the poultry industry, wasn't it? The, the, the packaging of the uh, the individual parts uh, instead of having to go with the whole bird. Yeah, I think just being, sure, uh, being um, accessible to folks, making sure that they have choices. Um, we realize that everyone has a lot of protein choices right now for what they could be eating um, at the holidays. And we certainly want them to be eating turkey, so the more options that they have, the the more convenient it is for them to prepare it. Um, we're hopeful that they're going to continue to choose turkey. We think it's the best option. And again, Not what's that website? All, yeah, no, I can tell. What's that website, <laughs> website where they can yeah. get information? Our website is eatturkey.org. Lots of recipes, um, information about how turkeys are raised. Kind of a one-stop shop for things you might want to know about the turkey industry. Very good. Beth, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having us, and happy Thanksgiving. Beth Breeding, Vice President, Communications and Marketing for the National Turkey Federation. Stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now is Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. We take a look at the monthly ag equipment sales numbers. Kurt, thanks for joining us again. So we're looking at the October numbers. Uh, How do they look? Well, the October numbers are a little bit of a mixed bag this, this time around. Uh, kind of in all categories, we saw some uh, saw some decline month over month that uh, that actually began to eat into uh, a little bit of the lead that we were having year over year. Uh, so, for example, under 40 horsepower tractors, we're down about four percent uh, month over month uh, from this time last year. But that still has us uh, about five percent above where we were this time last year for those same uh, um, year to date for that for that same category. 
on the flip side, you know, we've kind of got some, uh, you know, combines continue to be an interesting uh, interesting market to look at. You know, we had a, about an 8% growth in October sales of combines, and that's kind of uh, leading to about a 2% growth year-to-date in the sale of combines. So there's a, there's a mixed bag. We've got a couple of other categories that have, that have shown some uh, uh, some undulation back and forth in, uh, in the United States market. Well, you're, you've been fighting some headwinds, strong headwinds for some time with the ag economy the way it is. Uh, but then you throw in the, the weather challenges this year and the ongoing challenges. I mean, the way harvest is going for some areas, just going on and on. So it's really, uh, I mean, it's been a challenging year all the way around. It, it absolutely has been. I mean, it's the weather challenges and delayed harvest, and then in some cases, you know, the further north where they're, you know, they're looking at, at crops that are ruined because of, uh, uh, you know, crops that are in the ground that got, got you know, frosted or snowed, snowed uh, on too early. I mean, it's, 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 there's some damage out there. On the flip side, there are pockets that are, that are doing quite well. But it's been really difficult uh, for, for the manufacturers to kind of put a finger on what this future is going to look like because there are those storm clouds out there. That are just you know they're they're just very real and everybody your listeners feel it uh, all the farmers feel it that uh, you know with trade uncertainty with weather uncertainty with uh, with demand uncertainty with ethanol uncertainty it's just uh, it's a it's a little bit tough to figure out what this uh, market's going to look like in the next few months and years. Well, going into the winter season as we are now, what do you typically see as far as sales are concerned? Well, we typically see some seasonality. Um, you know, we'll typically see a little bit of a bump. Uh, you know, in you know, say right in December, it's kind of that pre-tax bump. We also typically see November being a little bit of a lag month historically. But because of the late harvest, you know, who knows? We may see that that lag, uh, that lag month may uh, may be a little bit different than we normally expect, just because of the because of the weather situation. But I do typically expect a little bit of some late. Late, uh, late in season purchases uh, to take care of uh, take care of taxes and prepare for uh, for the 2020 planning season. Uh, so that's that's what we sort of would expect in the next say you know two to three months. Looking at north of the border into Canada, they've struggled even more than here in the U.S. How how do the sales numbers look there? Well, I'll tell you, Canada is Canada's pretty tough, and uh, you've got listeners in in Canada or if you've friends that are in Canada. Tell you that ag market's pretty tough right now. The net farm income's down about forty percent, um, you know, year over year, and it's just it's continuing to look even even more bleak up there. So the tractor sales numbers have have absolutely reflected that. You know, we're seeing four wheel drive tractors down, you know, thirty five percent on the year. Uh, we're seeing overall tractors down four percent on the year. We're seeing self propelled combines down twenty four percent on the year. Those are pretty scary numbers. Uh, and obviously, the October numbers uh, were were even a little bit softer than the year-to-date numbers. Um, but I think that that could be a, you know some seasonality and the weather the weather issues up there. But it's still it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty bleak story up in Canada right now for farmers. Kurt, how is the industry adjusted? What are we seeing as far? We talk a lot about uh, inventory on uh, you know used equipment the, and as well as new on dealer lots, but also how the the factory and the production side of the equipment. How how's the industry adjusting? Well, you know, if you can you can read the same headlines that uh, that I read. That there's some there's some decisions that are being made at the at the company level to sort of 
you know, rationalize that production and maybe scale scale back some of that production for forecasting purposes. Uh, you know, because you know you got to plan ahead, and and because there are these headwinds, I think a lot of manufacturers just don't want to, They don't want to get a situation where there's too much inventory out there because then that that creates some uh, some issues with the market longer term. Now, on the positive side, boy, there's some cool technology. Uh, I was at Agritechnica last week in Germany, and there's some there's some pretty cool technology. Uh, you know, three new combines introduced, and and, uh, and some pretty neat stuff in the uh, in the automation world. That uh, I think you know, as you look at you know, you know, the, the scaling back on maybe some of the traditional uh, equipment pieces, but potentially the turnaround of, of scaling up of some of these things that are looking kind of interesting in new technologies because you know I think there's optimism that the demand is going to be there for these uh, for these cool cool new technologies. Kurt, before we let you go, the recently held National FFA Convention in Indianapolis. I know the Association of Equipment Manufacturers is a big supporter of FFA and a big part of that convention. You bet. We actually were honored uh, for celebrating our 50th year of celebrating National FFA organization. And you know, as as, uh, as you know, Mike, I'm a I'm a I'm a product of that. I often say that I owe a lot of my career to the National FFA organization and our association of AEM. We we you know we and our members just think that's such a great organization that that is really preparing the the, the youth uh, for the future and preparing our job force uh, that's much needed in this in this entire industry. Very good. Kurt, always good to talk with you. We'll check in again next month. Very good. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks, Kurt. Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Again, a reminder, if you would like a chance to win a free registration to the upcoming DTN Ag Summit that will be held in Chicago December 9, 10, and 11, you need to go to our website, AmericanAgNetwork.com, click on Adams on Agriculture, and send in your information. And on Monday, this coming Monday, we're going to draw two names, two winners for free registrations to that DTN Ag Summit. That's going to wrap it up for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a great day. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. <music> 